He could do the splits. I, I've seen him. Have you seen him do the splits on that van on the Volvo yeah, trucks? Okay, he does training in one of his things where his sensei pulls his legs apart and he has to like just sit there like this. Wait, hold, hold, how does he pull his? Literally pull? with ropes. Ropes on his legs. Mm -hmm. What's he balancing on? on his booty in the air, floating? <laughs> that sounds like magic. Is this some glorified body stuff that you're talking about? Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A podcast from your friends here at Sandals Church. I'm Justin Party, and I'll be your kindness ambassador today. <laughs> I am Stephanie Keen, and I will be the recipient of kindness instead of banter today. Yeah, I'm PMB, and I'll be working on kindness. Oh, I thought I was going to say something about your lips are smooth as honey, but that sounded weird. I was just trying to, <laughs> I was trying to quote Proverbs 31. But yeah, you can't say that about... Please don't look at my lips and think of honey. It didn't get to me. Well, good news, guys. I am back on the show this week, even though I threatened to uh, not appear uh, this week because we got so many reviews in the iTunes store last week. So uh, everyone, I just want to say thank you to meeting my emotional needs and mm. my looking to external measures for finding my self-worth. I really appreciate everything yeah. you guys did. Although... Um, even though we got one great review from this guy, Calm24, who said it feels just like sitting with friends talking yeah, about man. God, which That's is great. So nice. Then um, here, here's the other deal. We did get our first four-star review. Yes, and I apologize for that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like I brought it on uh, on us. The four-star review came from Ragamuffin Soul. Oh, Whitaker. Himself. Himself. Mm. He titled it a four-star review for a five-car for a five-star podcast. Although I gotta be honest, I need to get on a five-car podcast. How awesome would that be? <laughs> The three of us, Jean-Claude Van Damme, five cars, all recording. He said, I wanted to rate this five stars because Justin told us he wanted a four star. Just following instructions. The best podcast ever. Mm. Which I knows the, the best podcast ever is in all caps. I it think is. that really matters. So I want our listeners that. to know that. I didn't say that I, I, I wanted a four star. I said I would accept a four star. All right. If that's the case. But occur, by you saying us... that, you were implying that you wanted it. Like yeah. you, you've you been tempting people with this for a long time. We it's brought so it on true. ourselves. Also, we have great follow-up news from Emily with the llama. If you guys are following her, she keeps dropping more awesome debrief llama photos on her Instagram. Llamas are scary. So great. So follow us over on Facebook. Look us up for the debrief podcast and you will see more awesome debrief llama action over there and if you have not yet picked up one of your debrief t-shirts uh, we would super appreciate it we're just hopefully a couple more shirts away from being able to buy that yeah because otherwise we're gonna have to start selling debrief llamas and that oh, gets really yeah, exactly. tricky well we, we there's this one little gadget we need so we can get you guys better audio on facebook live we're, we're like a dozen shirts away so make it happen people all right hey we got some follow-up from last week's episode this one comes from lucy you ready to jump in with some some questions yeah all right let's do this she said and um, we talked about this a little bit with marriage but she asked us based on luke 20 uh, will we know our loved ones in heaven and if so what's the biblical evidence bro yeah, well, the, the only biblical evidence we have for any kind of knowledge post-resurrection is Jesus. And so this is what I would say. The disciples knew him. They knew him. And there were things about him that represented his life, particularly the holes in his hands and, and the piercing in his side. And so um, they knew him intimately. What's amazing about it is as they recognize him, right, it's the way he talk. It's the way he prays. It's the way he blessed the food. And so interacting with him, they know him. And so absolutely, we're going to know the people that we love who are saved. Um, the people that we know and love that are not saved, uh, you know, they're not going to be there. And so that's the reality. And that's a difficult aspect of loving people who choose to mm -hmm. not believe in Christ right. and those of us who choose to believe in Christ. And so the people that we know and love who have given themselves to Jesus Christ will be there with us forever and we'll be with them. And it's going to be awesome. Man, I really love the conversation that we had about that in last week's episode. Lucy, if you have not listened to all of last week's podcast, go back and listen to it. It was 
Seriously, so good. Well, hey, we got a ton of good stuff from Luke chapter 21. You only covered like four verses in your sermon, so you left the the field and range wide open for us. But before we get into all the Jesus foretelling the future, I want to ask you this question from the very beginning with the story of the widow's offering. Verses three through four says, I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, as poor as she is, has given everything she has. So My question is, man, was this lady, as poor as she was, giving everything she has, being a little bit reckless with her generosity? Yeah, well, the answer is yes and no. So yes, she was being reckless because she gave everything she had, but the reality is no, she wasn't being reckless because she had nothing. And so um, so it's a tricky way of answering that question, but the reality is when you're broke, you're broke, right? You got nothing. (laughs) And so what's two pennies, what what difference is two cents going to make if you Mm -hmm. don't have anything? I think what Jesus is pointing out here is this woman is laying it all on the line and she's trusting everything in God. And Jesus recognized that and sees that and actually calls attention to her. And so I'm going to guess, and we don't know that there were probably some wealthy people there who did love God, who helped her out and probably overwhelmingly blessed her. And I think the attitude, you know, the attitude that Jesus is, is pointing us to is not trusting in the money that you have, but trusting in him ultimately. And she is the prime example of that. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times we feel good about the little bits that we give, but the reality is God wants all of us. And so, um, you know, there are times when people give offerings to the church. You know, I think about, you know, one of our uh, high school students that got some money for college that was given to him and gave literally, you know, about 1500 bucks to the church and his parents were not cool with that. And, and as a church, we gave the money back because it's not about, you know, the money, it's about people. And so we helped him walk through that process of what it means to, you know, be submissive to your parents, especially mm-hmm. when they don't go to church and yet love Jesus and want to be generous. And so um, we, we helped him through that process. And so I think there are some times when maybe um, we give too much. And so the Bible is very clear, never give so that you're in a position of need. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the Bible says, that God would never ask you to put yourself in a position where then you need the generosity of others. And so you have to balance that out. You know, don't put yourself in the poorhouse because then, okay, you gave all, all your money to God and now the church has to come alongside and help you. And so you need to you need to be able to figure that out. What is the maximum amount I can give and still be uh, a contributor to the church and not dependent upon the church? Mm-hmm. So. So now we're going to move into just the rest of this chapter, pretty much just Jesus foretelling the future, starting to talk about what's going to happen as the end comes. And in verses, yes, the year 2000. Um, So in verses five through seven, um, people were talking about the temple, but Jesus said, this the time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. They asked, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to take place? What's the importance of Jesus mentioning that the temple will be demolished? Well, he's predicting he's predicting the future. And so, you know, at the time, uh, the temple was one of the, you know, the ancient uh, wonders of the world. It's the most magnificent thing. A pro- uh, not a prophet, a, a historian by the name of Josephus said it was the most beautiful structure in all of Rome. So think about that. I mean, think about, um, hmm. you know, the Colosseum, the temples, um, you know, the, uh, the, the Parthenon, all of these things that we think about were so amazing. I mean, literally he said it looked like, Jerusalem looked like a snow-capped mountain. It was one of the most incredible things. Mm-hmm. And so people were infatuated with his beauty and it took literally almost a hundred years to build. I mean, it's the most majestic thing that the Jews ever had seen. And they couldn't believe that there was any way that you could tear it down because it was so massive. I mean, mm-hmm. it was absolutely massive, but the reality is it was going to fall. It was going to crumble because of the rejection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus was rejected in Jerusalem. And so he says that there's going to be judgment that falls upon them. And so ultimately that came, you know, about 27, 30 years after his death, Jerusalem is surrounded and destroyed by um, 
uh, Emperor Vespian and Emperor Titus. They, they both kind of partner together in the war, but they absolutely, utterly obliterate Jerusalem. Okay, so they, the, everybody that's there asks Jesus, when's this going to happen? When, when, when are these things going to take place? And in verses 8 and 9, Jesus replies, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and saying the time has come, but don't believe them. So as we're, we're going to continue on here through the chapter talking about end times, the future, should we even be having this conversation? Are you going to mislead us right now with the questions? Well, this is what I would say is I think it's important as Christians. Uh, I think if, if a, a pastor or a theologian is honest, it's, it's okay to speculate and hypothesize about the end times. Whenever a person says, this is it. And so they move from like a general understanding and awareness of, hey, this could be it to this is it, this is going to happen, then they're in trouble. And so we always have to be very, very careful of these pastors or theologians or Bible experts or prophets who say they've got it all figured out because the second they say that they're wrong. And so, no, I mean, I'm not going to tell you definitively Jesus Christ is returning on Tuesday at 830, you know, in the morning. I'm not going to say that. What Jesus is saying is, hey, look, here's some things to look for that are going to help you to understand that I am returning. And so I would say this, that throughout our talk today, that the point of what Jesus is saying is, is don't be distracted by your present world and, and realize something is moving outside and beyond you. And it's easy to get so distracted with our little life that we miss out on what God is doing. And so don't be the person in the end who completely missed out on the movement of God. Just like, remember at the birth of Jesus, it's the wise men from the East that read the signs in the sky. They see, they say, we saw his star and we have come from the east. So it's pagans that 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 predict and see the coming of Jesus when the right. religious people to which he came completely missed it. And so we got to make sure that we're not religious people that completely miss the signs of the second coming of Christ. And so we'll talk about that just as there was a celestial movement at the coming of Christ, Luke tells us there will be a celestial movement at the return of Christ. So something beyond just our little world here is going to happen to let us know that he's coming. Okay, so Jesus then kind of starts talking about some of those things that are happening and coming. He says, um, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and there will be famines and plagues in many lands and there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. Kind of like those signs we were just talking about. But what I'm curious about is like those things are happening now. There've been wars forever. We live in Southern California. Earthquakes are reality for us. There are famines. Um, hasn't that not always been the case? Like are the times that Jesus is talking about there what's happening now? Yeah, So, so let me say this. So the gospel of Luke, when he writes, he says to Theophilus, I'm writing so that you can have a different account. Right. He says that people have already undertaken the job of writing a gospel account. So the gospel of Mark probably exists and the gospel of Matthew probably exists. And so when you read the end times of Matthew and Mark, when they talk about you know the abomination of desolation and all these things happening, a lot of people married the destruction of Israel with the second coming of Christ. And so there was this disillusionment and, and, and this lack of understanding is, okay, why didn't Christ return? Because Jerusalem you know, it was torn down and it was destroyed. And so what Luke is going to do for us is he's going to help teach the church in Rome and throughout the Gentile empire that no, 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 you know, Matthew and Mark was great, but let me give you some, you know, some more clear understanding on what he was teaching. And so Jesus is going to separate the destruction of Jerusalem from the end. And he's going to divide those two stories where in Mark and Luke, they seem to be married and completely connected. Okay. And so the problem is the Gentile reader who's reading this knows that Vespian and Titus destroyed Jerusalem. It's, complete, it's been completely destroyed. And so then why hasn't Christ returned? And so he's trying to let us know that those two things are separate and that wars and rumors of wars 
is something that we're always going to have. And these are signs that the end is coming, but it's not ultimately, it, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen now. There's right. still other things that need to happen. So I, I don't know. This gets a little confusing, but you just have to understand for Luke in chapter 21, there's a division between the destruction of Israel and the second coming of Christ. They're not the same event. Whereas mm-hmm. in Matthew and Mark, you can read it to look like they're, they're exclusively tied together. Okay, so in verses 12 through 13, um, Jesus says, before any of this occurs, there'll be a time of great persecution. And he, and he describes it saying, you'll be dragged into synagogues and prisons. You'll stand trial before kings and governors before you're my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. Let me just ask you this, because I feel like this is one of those things where I hear from a lot of Christians or whatever, like we're living under this time of persecution. What, what's the difference between the type of persecution that Jesus is talking about here? And then just being a part of a culture that flat out isn't Christian. Right. So I, I would just say this, as American Christians, we need to be very, very careful about using the word persecution. Oftentimes people are just dealing with you because you have some personality struggles and <laughs> you've, you've probably been a jerk for some reason. I always hear people say that while well, I'm experiencing persecution and the reality is they just need to grow relationally and, and they're just not really um, smooth with people and they need to figure that out. So specifically here, you know, he's not talking about the second coming. Remember there's a division. So when he says, but before this happens, they will lay their hands on you. They will persecute you. They will mm-hmm. deliver you up to the synagogues. What he's talking about is everything that's going to take place in the book of Acts. All these things that he talks about happen in the book of Acts. Right, Every single right. one of these things mm-hmm. happen. The apostle Paul bears witness to governors and ultimately to Caesar himself. I mean, so the book of Acts is going to end with Jesus, or excuse me, with the apostle Paul in Rome, bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so all these things are gonna happen, but still that's not the end. So what I would say is as we're transitioning from a Judeo-Christian ethic in our culture to a secular culture in our ethic, we just have to learn to deal with it. And so politically, you know, one of the things that makes me so sad about our current culture is both, you know, those on the right, Christians, and those on the, on the left, you know, secularists, I think both of them are awful. Um, you know, I hear Christians all the time, we need to take our country back. Well, let me just tell you, this country was never ours. Mm-hmm. This country is everybody's. You know, it, it's everybody that's an American's. And so that means it's the Christians and it's the non-Christians. It's the straight persons and it's the gay persons. And it's for all of us. And I think what's so sad about those on the left and those on the right, they're both trying to take a country and make it their own and pretend that the other person doesn't exist. And my hope for the future of our country is, is that we can learn to love and respect each other and, and, and simply agree with the differences in our points of view. And the tragedies of our country is when people have not been able to accept those differences. And we ultimately fought a huge war over it where a lot of people died. And so mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that we will be able to not take the country back and make it ourselves, um, but make it a country where people are free to worship and free to pray to God as they see fit and live their lives. And just, you know, people that maybe, uh, you know, reject Christianity are able to do the same. And we can appreciate the freedom that we have in America. But I don't know that we're experiencing persecution, so to speak. There are things, some things that are happening with people who, you know, uh, conscientiously object to maybe gay marriage and they Mm -hmm. don't want to bake a cake for something. Um, And I'm hopeful that our country will make that right because I don't believe that America, and this is a political statement, not a theological statement, but I don't think that, it's best for Americans to force people to do things that they're conscientiously objected to. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that's that's a place of freedom. And so I'm hope I'm hoping that, and we could talk about that maybe as the political season rolls around. I'm hoping that we will be able to um, really respect one another when it comes to uh, issues of conscience. And I think that our country is uh, was founded on those principles, but 
we're sliding from that as I think people on the left are becoming a lot like what people on the right used to be. Hmm. And that's really unfortunate. Um, and I hope that we can figure that out for the best of all of us. But some people are, are, are feeling persecution for their convictions. I mean, certainly if you get fined, you know, $100,000 because you wouldn't uh, bake a cake. I mean, that's certainly is, 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 is persecution. But most of us, you know, we, we have not experienced that yet. And then even what we're experiencing in America compared to people who are being beheaded, imprisoned, uh, right. jailed and beaten around the world. Um, you know, I think about one of the guys, you know, in East Africa where we had a church, you know, Sandals has a, a little campus there where a guy prayed to receive Christ and his wife poisoned him. Mm-hmm. That's persecution, right? Here, drink this, eat this. And he almost died. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he was, I don't know if you guys know the story, but he, they actually put him in a casket and went to bury him. And um, ultimately he wasn't dead and they dropped him because he was in the casket box and they were taking him to the tomb they, or to the grave and they dropped him and he broke his coccyx. <laughs> that, that is you. a raw deal. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. He didn't die, but you can't sit for yeah, a while. Scared his so. friends to death because he wasn't dead, but uh, his wife poisoned him that way and, and that happened. So that's persecution, right? Your wife kills you because you gave your life to Jesus. That's rough. Right. Okay, so here's the deal. As I'm reading through it, I'm looking at verse 25. It's about where it seems that maybe Jesus is making a shift. Is that how you see it, where Jesus is making kind of a shift to talking about not just the destruction of Jerusalem, but maybe looking forward to yeah, some other end times of the yeah. world? Absolutely. Verse 25 is the shift. So everything is pointing towards the destruction of Jerusalem, which is an event in human history that Jesus says is coming, and then it's going to shift to the coming of the Son of Man. And most of your Bibles will actually give you that distinction. Got it. Okay, so it says all this crazy stuff about the sun, the moon. Everybody's going to be perplexed by everything that's happening in nature, the tides, all kinds of stuff like this. But then at the end of this little description, Jesus says in verse 28, so when all of these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. And it, it kind of sounds like Jesus is wanting us to be excited amidst of, like, you know, the stuff of movie trailers. Yeah, um, absolutely. So back to the celestial event. So there, there's something that's going to take place before Christ returns. Something is going to happen in the heavens, literally a celestial event, something that has to do with the sun, the moon, and the stars. There's going to be some kind of shakeup that affects the environment on earth. And so we think about global warming, right? So everybody talks about global, global right. warming. There's going to be some celestial event that affects the seas and the waves. And the Bible says, and this event is going to be so globally terrifying that people will faint with fear and foreboding at what is coming on the world. People are going to be terrified at what's happening. But what ultimately is going to happen is not a celestial event, but a heavenly event. Christ is going to come Mm -hmm. through this event where the heavens are literally shaken. And Jesus says, when you see these things, don't be afraid, don't hide, stand up because I'm coming for you. And so we need as believers not to be afraid of the end of the world, but we need to pray for it and we need to expect it and we need to long for it because ultimately that's when everything is made right. And so when everybody else is freaking out, we should be excited and happy that God is going to make everything right and everything's gonna be great. And so Jesus is trying to encourage us, look, you're gonna be persecuted. All these terrible things are gonna happen. And then ultimately the world's gonna end, but don't worry. You know, you think about other verses. He says, I have overcome the world. You guys are gonna be okay. And so this is why we need to remember not to panic, not to freak out, but just to trust in God, not only in life not, and not only in death, but at the end of all life. Mm-hmm. So we can still trust him because what's coming behind these celestial events is him. And that's who we want to come. So yeah, he wraps up talking about all those events and says, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. And you mentioned uh, before too, even when we're talking about people getting persecuted and dragged in front of governors, that a lot of these things already happened in Acts. And it seems like every generation of people are saying like, it's bad, like the end must be near. 
what, how do we make the, of that? What do we make of that warning? And how do we prepare ourselves when it feels like this has been happening? Like, how do we know yeah, if no, it's actually close? Actually, yeah, I think that's, I think what you're saying is absolutely right. This is what I would say about the first century church. So at the end of Acts, I believe, so there, there's all kinds of theories about all the things that need to take place for Jesus Christ to return. Right. I believe that the apostle Paul, Luke and Peter believe that they had done everything in order to make Christ return. So literally in Acts 28, the gospel has gone out to the nations as they understand it. I mean, when you read Acts, right? So, so what is Acts 1.8? You will be witnesses in, uh, in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, in Judea, Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so literally, what is the book of Acts? The book of Acts is the gospel going out. Now we now know, right? The world is much bigger than they thought it was. Mm-hmm. And there are people and, and tribes and ethnicities that have never heard the gospel. But from the perspective of Paul, they have done everything at that point in time for Christ to return. And they believe that. And that's why the book of Acts is, is showing the gospel has gone out. And so um, so absolutely, you know, every generation gets, you know, convinced that Christ is gonna return in their, their, in their generation, which I think is good, right? We need to have a sense of urgency, like, right. okay, life could be over, but they become overwhelmed with it. Like the, the great disappointment, I think it was in 1844, where thousands of people sold all their, you know, their homes and, and and believed in the imminent return of Christ, and then he didn't come, and they were completely bamboozled by these religious leaders that got them all worked up, and they lost everything. And this has happened multiple times in history when Jesus said, look, nobody knows the specific hour or the moment. And what he's doing is he's trying to say, watch out for the season, you're not gonna know the moment. So we're never gonna know the precise moment, but we can look and say, okay, you know, and what I would say is, is I believe that Christ could return at any moment. And, and, and I think that's been true for a while. And so we're gonna diligently try to reach the nations, people groups that we know haven't heard the gospel um, because we believe ultimately that that's the thing ultimately that's keeping Christ from return is he wants every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Mm-hmm. The book of Zechariah says that there will, be, there will be 10 people from every tribe uh, worshiping God mm-hmm. in the end of all things. And so why 10? Because it takes 10 men to produce a synagogue. So every community, every nation in the entire world is going to have representation um, in the kingdom of God. And, and we know that. And so we're, we're waiting for that. And, and I believe that you know, Christ will return when you know, the last person that's supposed to be saved gets saved. And we see that all throughout the book of Acts, all those who were ordained to be saved, were predestined to be saved. We, we see that all through the book of Acts, this is all God's plan. And he is completely exercising this out. And, and he knows precisely when he's gonna return. So one of the things that's so cool is that Stephanie pointed out when we were traveling and when we visited India last year as part of our bar 100 project is like, I've heard you share that before. And we've talked about here that here at sandals. And I've always like thought of that as like a compassion thing, you know, for the loss, like, Hey, we need to go to all these different nations. But one of the things Stephanie pointed out while we were there was man, like nobody in America worships God. Like these Indian people are worshiping um, their gods and how God really needs to get how, how, how much cooler the party will be, how much cooler uh, the worship and the celebrations will be. Yeah, when and it how much more as, diverse it will be, like right, how exactly. multifaceted worship will get to be when every single nation and every single language and people group will be worshiping God in their own unique way. Yeah, and that's the beauty of Isaiah uh, chapter 60 when he talks about the end of all things. Every, every tribe and, and, and tongue and nation is bringing their gifts and their offerings to the temple. And it's just powerful and it's beautiful. And it's, it's a tragedy that the Jewish people missed the heart of God for the nations in that passage. But um, 
you know, they're talking about the world as big as they know it from the East, from the West, from the North, from the South. And they're saying all these people, even way down there, you know, as far as they knew are coming to Jerusalem. Kings are coming, laying down their crowns. You know, people are coming, bringing their gifts and their offerings. And it's going to be an absolutely beautiful thing because from the very beginning, God didn't just love the Jews. He loves all people. And the Jews were supposed to be his missionaries unto the earth to bless them. And so ultimately as Christians, it's now our job to tell the world, including Jews, about the love of Christ. Okay, so then I, I love this because Jesus gives an illustration about a tree. Once again, I love how many times yeah. he's done that. And this time he goes, notice the fig tree or any other tree. He has <laughs> fascination with figs. Yeah, dude, He must I have liked figs. I love it. He's just like, Pic- picture any tree. I feel super tree. holy because we have a fig tree in our backyard. So I was like, oh, oh I know what you Have you had a fig? I'm not a big fan. They're not that great. And they attract a lot of bugs when they're yeah, in and season. They're, yeah, yeah, and they stink. Hold but on. it's really pretty and very leafy. Yeah. Don't judge me. Is a fig a unique thing? I also thought like I, I thought a fig was just like a dried up plum. No, no, a fig is an actual fruit. A fig is a fig. Yeah, it's a fig. You guys, I just so you've something. seen dried figs, but then it's not figs are not a dried up other. It's not like prunes. What happens? Oh, prunes are, a plum. Yes, I think are dried plums. It's like a combination between a raisin and a plum. Hmm. Well, it's like a dried plum, See, but they sound... call it a prune. But a fig is an actual fruit. What is the point of figs, people? I don't know. I don't well, Jesus, Jesus liked really liked it. <laughs> Dude, he, he's all about that. Well, this and time he got I, upset when he didn't get him some figs. <laughs> so, okay, so this time around, he's like, "Notice the fig tree or any other tree." Here's how we go. And then Matt in verse thirty-two, he goes, "I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place." So it's pretty safe to assume that everybody who was alive at that time uh, that Jesus was talking is dead now. Right. And how so, do, how this, do we connect the, these Yeah, pieces? this is the the most challenging. Um, verse in the chapter to translate. And so it clearly can't mean his generation because Luke is writing this after Jesus' generation is all dead. So most of them are dead. So this is, you know, probably 30 years after the the resurrection of Christ. So most of them have passed. And so he's writing this. And so the assumption here is that the word generation probably means the last generation, the last generation on earth. So when, when they pass, um, these things will take place. And so- Almost like once it gets started- yeah. Okay. So human humanity had a beginning point with Adam and Eve, and it will have an ending point with the final generation. And so I think that's the best uh, translation for that. But it is a very, very difficult thing to translation. He says, heaven and earth will pass away. He says, but my words will not pass away. And so the emphasis is, is that everything is moving to end, but ultimately God's plan, God's purpose, and his words will not end. Okay. So when he says that like heaven and earth will pass away, we talked last week that you're like you don't think that heaven and earth are actually going to disappear, but that they're going to be resurrected. So what? Is, how do we reconcile that with right? This and so you know, again, I, I, I'm speculating on that. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and my idea is that the earth and the heavens will be redeemed and renewed. And so what that process looks like, like I have no idea how God's going to resurrect my body. He doesn't consult me with this, but somehow He's going to resurrect me, and somehow He will resurrect the new heavens and the new earth. Why do I believe that? Because Romans eight says all creation longs for the resurrection. Mm-hmm. All creation is waiting for and longing for us to be resurrected and the earth to be resurrected and, and, and the heavens and the moons and the stars and everything to be the way God always meant it to be and even better. And so we look forward to that and we, and we long for that. And so I think pass away is just a figure of speech of saying it's, it's gone. It's no more. It, it won't exist in that way. Um, it's going okay. to be new. Okay. It's going to be new. But you know, I just don't like Christians who talk about, well, God's going to burn everything with fire and it's all going to be destroyed. And you know, God's creative act in the universe is an act of redemption, not destruction. So destruction is something that's reserved for the unrepentant unbelievers. You know, Romans, or excuse me, Re- Revelation twenty-one eight gives a list: murderers, unbelievers, haters, gossipers. You know, people disobedient mm-hmm. to their parents and all. It gives this list of like basically horrific people that will be judged by God. <laughs> mm-hmm. But 
that comes after Christ saying the new heavens and the new earth and how beautiful it's going to be in the new Jerusalem and it's going to be fantastic. So, Okay, so Jesus says something at the end of all this that really uh, sticks out to me and is a little bit confusing. So verse 34, he starts off and he's basically giving a, a warning, right, to stay focused on all this stuff. It says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let the day catch you unaware like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times. So I'm totally tracking with you, Jesus. But then he goes, pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Yeah. What Do, do I need to get like the Walking Dead Hyundai or something? <laughs> like, I don't understand what, yeah. what is, is going on Is that how you here. say it, Hyundai? Hyundai. I thought it was Hyundai. I don't know. I didn't Hyundai, know figs Hyundai. existed as a real thing about yeah. Yeah. We don't 90 need to seconds trust him ago, so take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt. Maybe it is Hyundai. I thought it was Hyundai. No, so so let's go to the verse 34. So Jesus says, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And so it's just really easy to get overwhelmed with this life. Mm-hmm. And you get so fixated on this that we miss out what's happening in the heavens and the signs that are coming. And so what he's saying is, you know, the apostle Paul says, set your minds on heavenly things, not on earthly things. And so our focus, our hope, our attention needs to constantly be on heavenly things because we get wrapped in earthly things, our worries, our families, our love life, our friends, our finances. It's so easy to get wrapped up in that, that what happens? Dissipation and drunkenness. And so when you become overwhelmed with this life, you choose coping mechanisms to deal with this life. And so that's a lot of people, you know, that struggle with drug addiction. The reality is Mm -hmm. they can't deal with the hardness of life. And so Mm -hmm. what is drunkenness? It's numbing yourself to the worries and hurts of this life. And so a lot of people, life is unbearable. And so the glory of the gospel and the hope of the gospel is it won't always be this way. And so we don't have to lose hope. We don't have to lose our heart because we know that one day God's going to fix all these things. And so he says, don't be like these people that get so wrapped up in the here and now that that day will come on you like a trap. And so think about that. What's going to be happening? There's going to be caught in judgment forever. So it says it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. And so again, what is the second coming of Christ? look like it's global. Everyone sees it. Everyone's affected by right. it. It's not, um, it's not going to be in privacy. It's going, it's going to be out in the open. But he says, I say, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. I think what he's talking about is this is a salvation call. We need to be focused on enduring to the end, right? The true saint endures to the end. So we continue to pray. We continue to stay focused. And it's not that we're we're saved by this process, but those who are really saved hang on forever. And we all keep praying and keep asking that God will help us to stay focused regardless of how bad it gets. Mm-hmm. Because we ultimately don't want to miss out on celebrating with the coming of Christ. Listen to what he says. He says, pray that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So ultimately, how are we going to stand before the Son of Man, because we have been found faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in little things, now be faithful in much. And so we want to be found faithful. The Apostle Paul says, I run the race in such a way not to be disqualified. So we need to be careful that we don't lose you know, our hope. We don't lose our faith. And, and unfortunately, as a pastor of Sandals now for 20 plus years, I've seen people lose their hope, mm-hmm. lose their faith. They get overwhelmed with the here and now. They get overwhelmed with stuff. They get overwhelmed with heartache and they abandon their faith. I've seen it happen over and over and over again, and we want to stay faithful. And so what he's trying to do in Luke 21 is not scare us. He's trying to encourage us to stay faithful through all this process. So none of his suffering, none of these terrible things is happening 
he's predicted them. And so one of the things, you know, when, when Jerusalem fell, and we don't know if this is true or not, but one of, the, one of the ancient church fathers records that the Christians refused to fight with the guy who claimed to be the Messiah. So there was a guy who claimed to be the Messiah and all of Israel was to rally to him and he was going to throw off the Roman empire. And he actually did it first. They actually mm-hmm. made great progress and won some battles, but the church refused to follow him and they actually escaped judgment. And so, right, because they paid attention and they stay focused on the teachings of Jesus. And so that's one of the church histories is the church in large did not die in Jerusalem because they listened to his teachings, they paid attention, they stayed faithful and they trusted him. And so we, we, no matter how difficult things get, we have to stay focused on Jesus. And think about that. Christians walked away from their families, mm-hmm. from their businesses, from their friends. Mm-hmm. And at the time, nobody thought, nobody thought Jerusalem could ever fall because mm-hmm. it was the most well-fortified city in the world. Okay, quick question. Like I hadn't, I've never heard that before, like that part of the history. Where are some places that we could learn some of that kind of church history? What yeah, well, um, it's going to be not church history. It's going to be by a guy by the name of Josephus, who is a Jewish historian who fights actually uh, as a general in the Jewish army. And he is in charge of the Galilean uh, forces. So Galileans the North and uh, Simon, uh, I think his name was Simon Bar Kokhba, I think is how you say it. Is the I'm general word for it? Yeah, mm-hmm. is the, he great. is he is the leader in the south in Jerusalem, and he calls himself the Messiah. He t- claims that he's the Christ. And so, when the Roman armies invade Galilee, uh, and Josephus sees them, he has a change of heart mm-hmm. and he switches sides. Right. So he becomes the Benedict Arnold of the Jewish people. But then he becomes the greatest historian that that Judaism ever knows. And he writes about the wars. He writes about the battles. Listen, to this he actually says, one point one million Jews died in Jerusalem. Think about that, Mm -hmm. 1.1 million. Now, even if that's an exaggeration, is a lot of people that died. Mm -hmm. And about 150,000 were carried off to be slaves. So Jesus predicted it, it happened, you know? And and like I said, Simon Bar, which means son of Kokba, what I don't know, can't remember who Kokba is, but he claimed to be the Messiah and he said, I'm the Christ. And he killed anybody that, that didn't follow him that didn't listen to him. And ultimately that's why the Jews were destroyed because they fought against each other mm-hmm. and they didn't have a united front against the Romans and the Romans came in and just obliterated Jerusalem. And mm-hmm. it was tragic. Um, it was the worst the Jews had ever seen because even like think King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, uh, the Kings of Persia, those guys never destroyed everybody. When the Romans came this time, they weren't looking to save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel, right? So <laughs> right, what did they do? When, when King Nebuchadnezzar came, he's, he kept the very best for himself. Yep. When the Romans came, they killed them all. They killed them all. And Josephus says, this is gross, but Josephus says that women cooked their own children and ate them. That's how bad it was inside the temple, inside the fortress of Jerusalem. That's how bad it was. And that's why Jesus says, things have never been that bad that'll be the worst it ever is for yeah, the Jewish awful. people. It was really, really bad and really, really tragic. So I don't know if I answered your question. I kind oh, of I was talk. just asking like, where could we find, like, do we just look up Josephus? Yeah, you can study that stuff. I mean, ultimately, you know, I mean, that's my job. I have to study that stuff. <laughs> well, so, thanks for studying that for us. Yeah. Yeah, it's just Jewish history. I mean, you know, these things happened and, you know, the audience reading Luke, they're going to know that it happened because Rome erected a huge monument to crushing the Jews in Rome. I mean, it's still there to this day. You can still see it. And because they, they just got so frustrated with them and, and, and just ultimately said they all got to die. So. Yikes. That sounds like some Taylor Swift style vengeance going on right there. Oh, Taylor Swift is not that harsh. Well... I mean, that's because she doesn't have a giant army. Actually, that's <laughs> false. She she does have a giant army. Okay, so at the very end here, closing out, verses 37 through 38, 
Every day Jesus went to the temple to teach. Every evening he returned to spend the night on the Mount of Olives, which just sounds so peaceful, by the way. It says the crowds gathered at the temple early each morning to hear him. So it's basically Jesus just kind of riding it out, teaching every day for the till he's going to get arrested next chapter. Yeah, so this is kind of cool, actually. For those of you who like the outdoors, Jesus is camping is actually what it says in the original language on the Mount of Olives. I think it's pretty cool. And so, that sounds nice. Uh, yeah, I, I tell our church when we go there and we stand on, on, on the Mount of Olives is that this is Jesus Christ's favorite place to go. Mm-hmm. Like when he's in Jerusalem, this is where he camps, this is where he hangs out. These are his people. And what's so cool is there's still trees today that were there when he was there. Because olive trees basically can live forever. A lot of people don't know that, but as, as long as they're not burned, they just live like, I mean, so there's 3000 year old trees. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just amazing. So he, he's out there tent camping, but every day during the day, he goes into Jerusalem, into the temple and he preaches out in the open. And so why is Luke telling us that? Because, you know, Jesus, he's not some like, you know, uh, magician on the corner. He is in the theater. He is teaching. He's telling people exactly what they need to hear. This is a very, very public ministry because um, part of what the Romans need to understand is that Jesus isn't just some hillbilly, but that he was actually like a radical teacher and a incredibly influential leader. And so people followed him and, and the actual Greek, I love it, says they hung on every word. Hmm. Everything he said blew people away and everyone was amazed by this religious teacher named Jesus because they'd never heard anyone like this. Now, ultimately it is the religious leadership of Jerusalem that rejects him and kills right. him and slaughters him. But Luke wants us to know Jesus is very popular. So all throughout the gospel of Luke, right? Massive crowds follow thousands of people, wherever he goes in the miracle of feeding of the 5,000, you know, probably 27,000 people when you include men, women, and children. Absolutely amazing. This guy rocked the world. Hmm. He rocked the Roman world in Jerusalem and he's going to be crucified in a kangaroo court at midnight without the people knowing. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing is gonna be maneuvered. And so it's a setup. And so Luke wants us to know, because the Roman's gonna go, why on earth would these guys kill their own king? And what you're going to find out that it wasn't the Jewish people that killed him. It was the Jewish leadership and not even all the leadership is present. Mm -hmm. And so um, the whole thing's a scam. It's a scam. And it's the most influential religious leaders putting pressure on Pilate ultimately to make him do this. Um, And and they set him up and, and they pull it off. But praise God, it's not the end because he rises from the dead and changes the world. So it's pretty cool. Indeed. Good stuff. Um, Hey, I imagine you guys have some questions that might've come up. Maybe you feel like we left some things uh, uh, unanswered a little bit. So of course we want to get your questions here on the show, send them in either sandalshirts.com slash the debrief, click the big red button, or you can hit us up on Facebook, send us a message on our uh, page at the debrief. We'd love to get your questions here on the show. There's lots of good stuff. And then, hey, we've been having a bunch of folks share with us on the weekends how much they enjoy the podcast. And then we have a bunch of other people say they want to listen to it. So if you are listening to the show and you love it, do us a favor. Talk to the friends in your community group. Reach out to them. And if they're having a hard time getting subscribed, show them how to do it. Uh, You too can be a (laughs) kindness ambassador this week as you share the debrief. Got it, ladies? Mm -hmm. And gentlemen. Yeah, let's cultivate some new friends on the debrief. Exactly. Cultivate is for the ladies. As a kindness ambassador, I speak to the women. That's why I made all the Taylor Swift references. Oh, thanks for that. That's what we love. You are so in touch with the hearts of women. Mm -hmm. Dude, I know what's up. Okay, Steph, speaking of the hearts of women, let's get a sweet inspirational quote straight from Pinterest. I hope this is good. I would love to. Today's quote, never apologize for who you are. 
That is horrible advice and stupid <laughs> thing. Who were, that was on Pinterest? Yeah. Never there's apologize all, for who you are. I have to apologize for who I am every day. <laughs> like every day to God and to others because who I am oftentimes is awful. Oh yeah, dude, this quote is like basically the exact opposite of, of our, our vision. vision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, way to go, true. Stephanie. Well, it looked really cute on a printable, so. Never apologize for who you are. I, I just What find if who you things. are is a jerk? You should probably apologize for that. You'll probably just be persecuted. Maybe you're, yeah, I was like, maybe you're just being persecuted. Then you'll be very lonely. Oh. Yeah. Not you, but whoever wrote well, that. thank you. Yes, no, I did not write the quote, just to be clear. I yeah. just find them. Yeah, you just pinned it on your favorite board. <laughs> you don't know my life. Amen. <clears throat> it's already a bad start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just ruined it. No, I feel so good in right now, guys. Well, go. You got to encourage me. You're awesome. The pink bear strikes again. <laughs>